today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. I'm talking about living the life that the Lord Jesus has designed and purposed each one of us to live as his children. Living the life as a professing believer. If we profess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, there is a particular way that we ought to be living the life. Amen? Some of you are worried, aren't you? Yeah, okay. Well, we're going to get into that. We're, we're going we're gonna to see how the church there in, in Thessalonica, they, they were living the life. They were living the life as born-again, spirit-filled believers, and it was making a difference in the world that surrounded them. The Bible makes it very clear that the Christian life is much more than a mere profession of faith or occasional church attendance. All throughout Scripture, we read that a Christian's life is marked by continual sanctification and growth and maturity. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us about the heart, zeal, and passion that was driving the church of Thessalonica. In our study, we learn a powerful example of just what it means to be a blood-bought, born-again, kingdom-driven believer in Christ. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 with part 1 of today's message, Living the Life. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, living the life. Living the life. It's the kind of idea where everything is going great. You see it uh, many times on television commercials. Somebody's just, man, they're kicked back on the beach and the waves are there and just everything just seems to be so wonderful. Life is just absolutely so wonderful. No worries, no stress. As a matter of fact, all of your cares are, well, they're pretty well all cared for, and there's, there's no issues that are going on. To be living the life means that you are totally, uh, 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 again, settled in everything that's going out. And it means that others are totally envious of how you're living. Well, I'm sorry to tell you this, but living the life is actually a fantasy, that kind of a mindset. Because the fact is, we, we know the toilets get clogged, Amen. You know, the, the air conditioning breaks down. The, the automobiles, man, they have a mechanical problem that's like really super expensive. Issues come up and, well, this morning, I'll just give you a little example. This morning, I was living the life at about five o'clock this morning, dead asleep, loving every moment of it. And suddenly I heard rain. And I thought, in the depth of my sleep, I'm hearing rain. And I'm coming out of the fog just a little bit I said, it's not supposed to rain today. And I'm laying there in bed, not wanting to get out because I was living the life, okay? (laughs) Suddenly I realized, it's not supposed to rain today, and I'm hearing water. So I jump out of bed, I go, and I hear it's in the back. I open up the windows, and there in our bedroom, water is coming against our bedroom window. I've got a covered patio there, 
Okay, I'm thinking, how in the world is this happening? I'm still like half asleep. I run outside and I'm like, and there's water coming all over my back patio. And I'm thinking, a pipe is broke in the attic and it's spraying water everywhere. So I come running back in, I grab a flashlight, figure out, first I go out front, shut off the water. We've got some emergency valves just for these situations. I highly suggest those emergency valves. Just quick turn, boom, they're done. I get my flashlight, go out back. (sighs) It was a sprinkler line for our garden, a little half-inch line that came undone and it's spraying water everywhere. So praise God. Okay, that was no big issue. <laughs> but your pastor woke up very quickly once that was done. It was, it was ready for coffee at that point in time. Today, I actually want to speak to you about living the life, but living the life in a whole different way. I'm talking about living the life that the Lord Jesus has designed and purposed each one of us to live as his children. Living the life as a professing believer. If we profess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, there is a particular way that we ought to be living the life, amen? Some of you are worried, aren't you? Yeah, okay. Well, we're gonna get into that. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna see how the church there in, in Thessalonica, they, they were living the life. They were living the life as born-again, spirit-filled believers, and it was making a difference in the world that surrounded them. We're in the book of First Thessalonians, and like I encouraged you last week, hopefully you brought your Bible with you today. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have some that you can borrow out in the foyer. Uh, if you don't have one, you can keep one of those, Or because again, we're gonna be in the Word of God. Last week, we started this series in the study of First and Second Thessalonians by kind of going back over a little bit of Paul's second missionary trip. That's where the church of Thessalonica was was birth and, and where it began. We spoke a little bit how Paul had been called uh, through, a, uh, through a vision to come to Macedonia and to help us. And from there, that brought him to the city of Philippi through a, a, a short period of ministering. A church was birthed there uh, from the household of Lydia was one of the core groups, as well as the Philippian jailer uh, that uh, he and his family that got saved. And they were also a portion of the core group of that church. Well, Paul was wasn't there too long in Philippi, and he went on down to Thessalonica. And there, the word, as we looked last week in the book of Acts, they were there, and Paul reasoned there in the synagogue for three different Sabbaths, and then for only a short period of time following that. They had met with uh, moderate success in the ministry, particularly for the short period of time that they were there. Uh, the word tells us that a great multitude of the converted or the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. In other words, they became part of the church there in Philippi. But because of unbelieving Jews, a rebellion or a resistance or persecution rose up and it drove them literally out of Philippi and they went on down to Thessalonica. While they were there in Thessalonica, they were able to minister again, got the, the, the church began there, began to grow. And from that, they were only there for a short period of time again until persecution came. Moved from there and then finally ended up down in Corinth. And Paul was able to stay in Corinth for about a year and a half, a year and a half there. And it's while they were there in Corinth that Paul wrote the letters of First and Second Thessalonians. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I encourage you, open 
open them up to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We see there in the beginning verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul writes, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As far as the authorship of the book, there's no doubt. It was, it was the apostle Paul. Paul writes here uh, uh, again uh, as he, he, he writes or he dictates these letters. Not only does he mention himself first uh, among those that he sends greetings to, but also we see in the core of this book, we see Paul's style, his theology, his, his vocabulary throughout the letter. We, we're certain that it is Paul that wrote the book of Thessalonians. With him is also Silvanus, or we also know him as Silas. As a matter of fact, in all of Luke's writings, uh, in the book of Acts, as speaking of Paul's missionary journeys, Luke calls him Silas. But in all of Paul's writings, he calls him Silvanus. The same guy, just two different names. It's kind of like what we have today. We have Bob or we have Robert. Same person, two different names. We have Charles, we have Chuck, same kind of an idea here that we see. Silas, or Silvanus, was a ministry partner there with the Apostle Paul from the time of that first Jerusalem council, which we looked at a little bit last week, there in Acts chapter 15, and on through that second missionary journey, tradition tells us that Silas, or Silvanus, actually stayed in Corinth and began pastoring or overseeing the churches there in Corinth. We don't know for certain, but that's what tradition tells us. The other name that's listed here in the greetings is Timothy, and we spoke a bit about Timothy last week. Again, that young man that had only just recently joined the missionary journey, a young man that Paul kind of took under his wings and trained and discipled and and ministered with for a while until he finally sent Timothy to go and pastor and oversee the church there in Ephesus. So these are the three men that, again, this letter comes to the church of Thessalonica from, and they send the greetings. Now, the greetings that Paul gives at the beginning of this letter, it's very similar uh, to all the other uh, letters of Paul, very similar in its style, but it's also very common as a greeting in the first century Greco-Roman world. You and I, when we write letters, well, Nobody writes letters anymore, but uh, when we used to write letters, we used to address it to whom the letter is written to, and then at the very end of the letter, it is from so-and-so. Yours sincerely, or all our love, and then you, well, it was just the opposite during that time. They would say, hey, by the way, this letter is from David. I send you my greetings, my greetings, my greetings, and on and on. That's the way that they had it here. For the Apostle Paul, his greetings were very similar in all of his letters. Here, some form or some fashion, he followed this style. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the fact is, is God's grace, and only through God's grace, are you really allowed to experience God's peace. You can't have God's peace until you partake of God's grace. It's that peace of God that passes all understanding. It's that peace of God that's totally different than anything that this world can give you. It's that peace of God that remains with us even in the midst of the storms, even in the midst of panic of broken water lines in the early morning hours, it, uh, the, 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 the peace of God that comes in, in the conflicts of this life, it's the peace that comes from Christ. 
as he makes reconciliation once again between God and man. As Paul begins this letter, he assures the church of his continual love, his continual prayers, and his concern for them. Look with me, if you would, verse two. He says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work, without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Paul prayed for them. He continually prayed for them. He fully understood that the difficulty, the persecution that they had, that that Paul and the missionary group had when they were there initially bringing the gospel there in Thessalonica, they left there, but the church that remained was still under persecution. And so Paul continually prayed for them, prayed again that, that, that they were under attack because of their daily desire to walk a walk that glorifies the Lord. They desired to live the life, but the enemy was always pressing in against them. Paul understood that their faith wasn't gonna be easy, that they had to work at it. He understood that their love didn't come naturally. Theirs was a labor of love. He was certain that their hope was maintained through patient endurance. Guys, faith, when everything else is coming against you, faith just doesn't come naturally. It's something literally that we've got to work at. We've got to choose to walk in faith. When situations come and people in their attitudes and actions, sometimes on rare occasions, we're difficult to love, aren't we? There's times that we, again, that, that whole understanding, it is a labor of love to love some. Amen? Amen. Amen. But keep loving me, okay, in, in spite of that. And, and even as he says here, and your hope is maintained by patient endurance. That, that whole idea, the patience of hope. We, we look at these words, uh, faith, love, and hope, and some might look at that and say, well, those are, are what they call nouns. We have faith, we have love, we have hope. But Paul looks at it with the understanding that no, these are actually action verbs within the Christian life. You can't just have faith. You need to be living in faith. You can't just say, I have love. You need to be expressing love. It needs to be active within your life. You can't say that you have faith when you're walking in doubt. You can't say that you have love when you respond in hate. You can't say that you're living in hope when you're overwhelmed with despair they do not equate each other. And that's why for each of us, it's a work, it's a labor, it's an endurance that we work through these things in order that the Lord might be honored within our lives. Having that work of faith, that labor of love, that patience of hope doesn't come naturally. And neither do they remain with us unless we exercise them continually. Faith, hope, and love, being exercised on a continual basis. 
I give you this illustration and you need to understand I'm giving you this illustration not from firsthand experience, but because others have shared with me these things. I understand when those that do these things go to the gym and they work out really and then get really buffed, that if you stop working out, you don't stay buff, okay? It just kind of dwindles down. It's the same thing with our faith and with our love and with our hope. They've got to be exercised continually. We've got to be exercising this faith, this love. We need to continually be working at our faith, laboring at our love and patience in our hope. That's why Paul tells us, even in the book of Galatians, he says, I say to you, walk in the Spirit. This is that continual process, that activity of walking in the Spirit. And then you won't fulfill the lust of your flesh. But guys, we have to choose to walk in it. We can't just say, well, Lord, if you don't want me to be that way, just change me. No, the Lord says, I changed you. Now walk in what I've done in your life. Don't keep going back to what you used to do. Paul told the church in Ephesus, he said, walk in love, even as Christ has loved us and he's given himself for us. It's a choice. It's a determination. It's an activity that you and I need to be a part of, to walk in love. Even the apostle John declared it in 2 John. He says, this is love that we actually walk according to his commandments. It's a decision. It's a purposeful decision that you and I make and that we fulfill in our lives. I want to tell you this, and this may offend some of you, but it is the truth, and sometimes the truth does offend. You can't truly call yourselves a believer and not choose to walk in the way that brings honor and glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't do that. I mean, you're deceiving yourself. You're not deceiving God. You may be trying to deceive others. Now, I'm not saying that we don't stumble along the way and that we have our our, our days or our moments of failing, but I'm saying in the process and in the core and in the main focus of our lives that we walk in a way that brings honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it a work? Is there labor involved in it? Do we have to have patience? Absolutely, most definitely, and without a doubt, all three of those. Even even as Paul wrote to the Colossians, he says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You see, in all of his writings, Paul says, you and I have that responsibility. We have to choose to be obedient. We have to choose to walk according to his purposes. God knows our frame. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we're simply clay. And that's why he sent the Holy Spirit in order to equip us, to guide us, to empower us to and for that holy living. We don't dare try to walk this walk of faith on our own. It was never designed to be that way. If we could do it on our own, Christ wouldn't have had to have died. The Holy Spirit wouldn't have needed to come. We'd just say, hey, buckle up, buttercup, and get it right, you know? <laughs> you, know you know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Do the right thing. But the problem is, is too often we just do the wrong thing. Our, our flesh cries out or the world pushes us and, and we're, we're too weak and we're not solid in our faith and so we're 
push that direction and this direction every which way the wind blows and the enemy of our soul comes against us and he knows our weaknesses and he, man, he he continues to go after them. We can't do it on our own. That's why the Holy Spirit came. That's why we have this absolute, this total dependence upon the Holy Spirit in our lives to live our lives for the glory of Christ. And it's only through him, it's only through our dependence upon the Holy Spirit of God within our lives that we can truly bring glory and honor to Christ and be pleasing in the sight of our God and Father. Still in 1 Thessalonians, Paul then makes a passing reference to the doctrine of election. Look what he says there in verse four. Knowing, my beloved brethren, your election in Christ or in God or by God, now, the, the, the reality, the, the essence of election can't be denied. God chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And there's a lot of discussion within the different levels of theological studies, again, dealing with this whole uh, issue of God's election and man's free will. And there always is this tension that's going on. And yet the word of God, I believe, clearly teaches both of them. And Paul, again, he he doesn't go on to explain it here. He simply states the fact that, again, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. So we're not gonna go into it deeply today. We'll go into it as we go through books like Ephesians and again, where it's, it's laid out for us a little bit more on that. But again, it's a fascinating doctrine and it shows both the amazing sovereign work of Almighty God as well as our responsibilities before him and in the light of his offer of salvation. You see, it's not just the sovereign work of God in election. You and I need to choose. That's why the word says, whosoever will may come. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. And again, the word tells us we have a responsibility in the midst of how those things come together. Man, it's a God thing. It's not a man thing, okay? One writer in his commentary, a fellow by the name of Thomas Constable, he writes about it. He says the difficulty in putting divine election and human responsibility together is understanding how both can be true. That both are true is taught within the Bible. How both can be true is apparently incomprehensible to finite human minds. No one has ever been able to explain it satisfactorily. This task transcends mortal powers. And you you fully understand, when you start looking at both of them, you think, man, how, how does that all work? That's when we come and say, you know what? It's a God thing. And if I can explain God, guess what? I brought God down as small as I am. So it is the mysteries of God, and we rest in that. Again, Paul simply states it, and so we're gonna leave these deep waters. We're gonna go on with the rest of the study. Look at verse five, if you would. Paul writes, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Now, he assures the the Thessalonians here 
that the message of the gospel didn't just simply come as some mental exercise. It wasn't just a, a classroom lecture. Hey, come on in and we'll, we'll share these things with you. Okay, have a great day, go on. But there was truly a, a, the spiritual significance of it that had to work and move within their lives, and that's done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everyone has spent time wondering about the future. Whether it's short-term, lifelong, or even into eternity, we've each at some point let our mind wander into the unknown. While we can't ever know the future for certain, we do know certain truths about Jesus' return and our place with Him for the rest of time. As Pastor David continues to teach through the book of 1 Thessalonians, we pray you find comfort in these things. We also pray that you know where you're going to spend eternity. Have you made a decision to follow Jesus with your whole life? If not, we'd be honored to tell you more or to pray with you as you take that step. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. We'd encourage you to also find and begin regularly attending a local church, one that teaches God's Word and practices what they learn. With that in mind, Pastor David has an invitation for you. Hey, again, thanks, Chris. I would love to be able to meet you in person and include you in the weekly worship services here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. We meet every Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday. We spend time in the Word and in prayer and in worship. Be sure to stop me after the service and introduce yourself. Visit theopenword.com for more information and to find the service times. Just follow the links to our church homepage. I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in today to The Open Word.